Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. This is a historic edition of this podcast. This is the first time in the history of this show that anyone has ever come in from surfing to record the podcast. Chris Kimrani from The Athletic with us from Puerto Vallarta. Chris, you there? I'm here. Wow. This is the first time we've gone international on this podcast, too. Yeah, and I imagine if you would have chosen your restaurants last week, you wouldn't be able to go there. <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I do bring an international flavor. <laughs> so, Chris, have you, have you actually been in the waves this morning, or was last night too difficult to, uh, to make that happen? Too difficult to make it happen, but we're planning on getting there. I promise. All the listeners <laughs> I know, everybody is, is, is deeply concerned about our ability to shred the waves. I, I think they are because they're they're just jealous right now that they're, they're like, dude, this guy just did an amazing story on the, the recruitments of Peyton Manning and Eli, what they mean for Arch Manning. And now he's just shredding tasty waves, brah. Sorry. Yeah. All right, enough. <laughs> is NAR snow when you shred NAR? Is that snow? That's snow. Only okay. snow. Okay. Yeah. I just want to say, like, what's how much surfer lingo can we? Is that a cocaine reference? You got to do you got to do this hand motion on this podcast at least four times today. Is it the shaka, right? And you got to go, ee, right? You got to make that noise. Like, ee. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those who are li- just listening and not watching the YouTube channel, by the way, subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the podcast. You just get it, you know, every way you can imagine. Uh, Ari is uh, doing doing the shock. What, hang loose. The, hang loose. The hang loose. Yeah. Yeah. It's the There's a name for it, though, right? It's not the shocker, obviously. That is something else. <laughs> that's, that's the Arizona State thing. <laughs> right. But, but it's something like that. All right. <laughs> we must speak about the topic at hand. Ari covers recruiting. Chris, as I mentioned, wrote this It's called this the shaka sign, just so you know. Shaka. There it is. I, I, it was I thought close. you were going to say shocker, but it's shaka. I did say <laughs> shocker. <laughs> so, Chris, last week published an amazing story about the recruitments of Peyton and Eli Manning. Chris, you you reached out to me to get in touch with Steve Spurrier as you were doing this story. And the quote from Steve Spurrier about Peyton Manning's recruitment by Florida was all that I could have imagined it was. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things where you call and text the head ball coach fully understanding that the odds of him getting back to you are very slim. And when he calls you back in like three hours and he's like, what's up, good buddy. This is head coach Steve Spurrier. I was like, hello, Steve. Uh, (laughs) It just kind of catches you off guard. You know, it, it was, it was very funny and just, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, Andy, but like he has this ability to kind of, I don't want to say pat himself on the back <laughs> every time when he's just it's talking amazing. about anything, you know, re- re- <laughs> revisionist history. But he was just like, yeah, man, Peyton, we want we wanted that. We recruited the heck out of him and, you know, getting all into that. And then he was just like listing all of these quarterbacks that obviously Florida was recruiting at the time, and, Terry D. you know, in a roundabout <laughs> way, just saying that. Eric Kessler was the guy that he kept bringing up. You know, they're real oh, yeah. high on Eric Kessler. Eric Kresser, and, yeah. Eric, uh, Eric Kresser yeah. actually and, and, <laughs> wound up going yeah. to Marshall and, and doing pretty well and played in the NFL for a while. So yep. there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, so I believe fun. I believe he was throwing touchdowns to Randy Moss in West Virginia. So things work out for everybody, as as Steve Spurrier said when it came to the <laughs> recruitment of Peyton Manning. It was it, it was just funny, like getting into the Bermuda Triangle of Tennessee and Florida. I'd never been there before, and just <laughs> hearing you know kind of veiled shots between Steve Spurrier and Phil Fulmer about the recruitment of Peyton of recruitment of Peyton was was really fascinating because. You know, Phil Fulmer's telling me this in-depth story about, you know, the, the day he found out that Peyton was coming to UT and, you know, he eventually ends it with like, I'll, all I cared about was that Peyton didn't go to Florida. That's how it ended. <laughs> but so did, it's did, like, did I, I, Fulmer, I, I kind of understand what that 90s rivalry was like. Didn't Phil Fulmer wake up the entire floor of a hotel in Pennsylvania when he found out Peyton Manning was coming to Tennessee? Yeah, he was out there recruiting. Um and he guesstimated that it was at around 2 a.m. that he was informed that that Peyton was going to commit to the volunteers. And uh, the way Philip explains the memory was that he gets the phone call and then just let out such a giant scream that um, people like did the did the movie thing where they open their hotel rooms just to look down the hallway to see if <laughs> anything, you know, kind of kind of spooky is going on. Oh, yeah. I- and somebody probably shut up. Philip Fulmer, by the way, not given to massive emotional outbursts. So that that tells you how important this was. But so Ari, you guys had a great conversation in one of our live rooms on the Athletic app last week, and you were taking reader questions on on Chris's story and also on the recruitment of Arch Manning because Chris's story kind of framed how the Arch Manning recruitment has been crafted and really they are trying to make it like the 90s recruitments of Peyton and Eli rather than a 21st century social media age recruitment and done a fairly good job of it so far but but Ari how amazed are you that that they've been able to to keep it as analog as they have you know I'm not amazed uh, at all that they were able to accomplish don't talk to anybody because you know we've <laughs> you seen other, that we, we've seen other recruits do that before um but the thing that i'm most amazed about and i said this on the live chat with uh with chris the other day is that in talking to his head coach for the story that i wrote about him a few months ago and then reading it again uh in chris's much better story um they said that their number one goal for arch is that he'll have a normal recruitment um and when they say normal recruitment i think they are referring to what a normal recruitment resembled in like the nineties and the eighties. Yeah. Right now he has a very abnormal recruitment as it pertains to the way things go nowadays. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, undercurrents here when it comes to what stories you can come up with, especially considering the fact that he is without question, probably the most marketable recruit that will ever come through high school ever. And we're only in year one of these, of this thing. Because of just the quarterback position, uh, the five-star status, the fact that his uncles are two of the most marketable, uh, you know, figures in the history of advertising when it comes to football players, his last name. Like, I don't think that you could go into a uh, into a computer program or a studio or something and design a fake quarterback prospect that could be worth more in the NIL era than this guy is worth. And so when you say, are you surprised they've been able to keep it under wraps. No, I'm not surprised that they have been. What I am surprised by is that 
they're and, and maybe I shouldn't be because they come from money and Peyton and Eli have made made tons of it, but they have a prospect who is worth you know, if there's an eight million dollar man now, I can't imagine what what Arch is actually worth. And, you know, they haven't really succumbed to the temptation of, you know, using all of that um potential to not just earn money, but to to raise his profile. So, you know, maybe that in turn will raise it long term. Uh, but you know, it's just a very interesting dynamic. And I think it also is interesting in how he could possibly approach his career in college once he gets there. So, you know, there's a lot of under undertones to this, this recruitment that I think will be very interesting to watch play out. Well, Chris, you mentioned it on, on the podcast that, that or on the, the, the live room that maybe the upbringing has a lot to do with the way this is being handled. Also, yeah, if we think about it, if it wasn't for a gambling entity, I mean, conceivably, once the rule changed, Arch could have been in the Caesar's Palace commercial with his uncles, his grandfather, and his dad. His dad's in those commercials too. Uh, so I he's mean, the only high school recruit that could be in a national commercial about anything. And I don't yeah. know that that'll ever happen again, unless you know somebody else has a son or a grandson. But like Eli and Peyton are already in commercials. And like when you think about regular NFL quarterbacks, and I think we talked about this on the show, Andy, how many NFL starters right now do you see in national commercials? You see Aaron Rodgers, you see Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield's in that progressive commercial, right, where he's in the stadium. But other than that, it's yep. like you see Jared Goff. You don't even see Joe Matthew Burrow. Stafford got AT&T. But that's, you're right. Joe yeah, Burrow, yeah. you're not even seeing Joe Burrow right So now. if you don't see Joe Burrow, you know, it, you could make a case that Arch Manning's name and his affiliation with Peyton and Eli makes him every bit as valuable as a national uh, National Football League starting quarterback, especially when they just played in the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know if he's worth more than Joe Burrow, and maybe that'll change in the next year. Um, but, man, like, put your put your thinking caps on here, guys. What what kind of fake prospect could you create in the La La Land that would have a higher <laughs> profile than this kid? But, but Chris, I, I, I'm curious uh, your take on this, because it seems to me like because of all this, that he grew up around, like all of this is fairly normal to him. It doesn't seem like it's all that interesting to him. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There is, and, and Ari hit on this when we ha- spoke in the live room. It's like he is absolutely the exception, not the rule. And that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the reality of the situation. Um, it, it, it is fascinating to think that if he wanted to, Arch Manning could potentially make more money as a college football player from the NIL perspective, as he potentially could from his first major NFL rookie contract. But uh, that that's a, that's a discussion for another time. But yeah, I mean like going back through pouring through all those old newspaper stories from the early nineties to mid nineties to late nineties, it's the Mannings do things the way they want to do them. And they're not going to basically bend over to the will of the way the nature of recruiting is going or how society's going to tell them how to act. And listen, the reality is, is not everybody is a very, uh, I mean, the quarterback position demands an insane amount of, uh, you know, pressure and you have to deliver, but not every quarterback is a guy, as you mentioned, who wants to be on state farm or progressive commercials. I understand that Arch is still a very young kid, but by talking to people around him for the story, he seems to just be a young man that wants to kind of experience each step of the blueprint once you kind of get to that college 
that next step in college. And I think right now he's really leaning into the existence of being a high school kid. Um, you know, the same way Ari did with his story. I spoke with the Newman head coach, Nelson Stewart, and just, you know, him talking about how when that video kind of went viral of Arch in, I guess, when he was in eighth grade, Cooper knew kind of the storm that was coming. And he told Nelson and basically everybody in the inner circle that he wants to be able to protect Arch from all of these mitigating factors out in the world that you don't necessarily have the ability to control. So, um, yeah, it's it's a long-winded way of saying that it it is it is surprising in that it's unique, but it's also not surprising that if if you knew the family and know how they have handled things like this in the past, high-profile recruiting battles in the past, this is just the next one in the long line. It's just different now because of the age of social media, because of the just the age of attention that this young man has compared to what his uncles or dad or grandfather have experienced during their, you know, history in the game. Do you guys know the NFL league minimum for salary for a 10 year veteran? Oh, it's, it's probably (laughs) 2 million, million? 1.12 million. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is way, way is a little bit, I mean, but like, think about, (laughs) you know, being just a, a, a third stringer in the NFL for 10 years, you know, you can make a good living, but like a 17 year old kid is worth potentially 15 times as much annually right now. Um, so I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just thought that, I don't know if you you think he's worth $15 million a year right now. Oh, I don't know. I'm not, I don't work at open. I don't, I don't think he's worth that much yet, but but how much do they, how much do they pay somebody to be in a state farm commercial? Not that much. (laughs) I mean, if you're, if you're the face of it, maybe if, if you are, if you are Mahomes or if you are Rogers or you are the guy who plays Jake, I don't, what is the guy who plays Jake command these days? Like he's on my TV more than anybody else. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. All right, let's, let's talk about arch the player because I, I, it occurred to me now I realize most of our listeners are sickos like us who follow this stuff in every, you know, the little detail. Arch Manning is the son of Cooper Manning. Cooper Manning is the oldest of of Archie and Olivia Manning's sons. So his younger brothers are Peyton and Eli. Cooper was Peyton's top receiver when they were in high school. Cooper, probably the best pure athlete of those three brothers. He was going to be a receiver at Ole Miss. He had a neck injury that, that ended up ending his career. But... Arch is his son, so uh, you know the, the genes very strong. He he, are you've watched him, you know, a ton of Arch Manning video by this point. What is he like as a quarterback? Yeah, I think that if you just put together what his last name is and try to like put into your head like what he is, you know, smart and dependable and can read defenses and makes plays and keeps his head on a swivel and all the like other football cliches you can come up with. But the thing that really stood out to me about his tape, and I'm by no means an NFL GM who can break down talent as well as some of the guys over at 247. But what I see is insane athleticism from a just pure ability standpoint. And I don't think people associate Eli and Peyton with that ability. In terms of like, I mean, those guys were just solid, steady, I mean, amazing NFL quarterbacks, but they never did anything physically that wowed people. And I think that Arch Manning does that. And and what I've always said is, you know, go watch him play basketball. 
I mean, he's dunking the ball. I mean, he's got viral videos. I mean, he's a very, very good athlete. I think he's sneaky fast. He's big. Um, you know, he's got a strong arm and everything that uh, you want as a five-star quarterback. And there's no question in my mind that if his last name was different, that he would be a five-star quarterback. Now, the thing that I think is most interesting about this recruitment is that every single team or the three that seem to be standing out right now and i know that you predicted that florida was going to land him in one of your crazy predictions but I, the, I that was that was that was a hot take that, that was, was that was that was an re blazer right there i, don't I haven't know. given up i haven't given up on on the old alma mater in that situation yet but it, they are not in his uh his top three at the moment so the top three right now if you've been living under a rock uh is uh georgia texas and alabama and he it's not a formal top three it's just the ones that everybody assumes is top three what do right, those he's, three? He's not calling up Hayes Fawcett, who we've had on this podcast before, to get a graphic with his. No, like, he's top not doing 12. any of that stuff. Um, yeah. But what are those two? Those three teams have in common? All of them have a five-star quarterback who has recently signed um, on the roster. You know, Ty Simpson at Alabama, Quinn Ewers at Texas, and Georgia's got a few uh, as well. There, um, there's so, also the, the there's also the five-star from Alabama that's who starting. Just won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, but I think that's right another now. alternate discussion that I'd like to have on this podcast before it's over too about the expectation for um, five-star quarterbacks to play early and how um, Arch's approach to his recruitment might mean more patience than you typically get from a recruit too because he's not in a position to need everything right now um, in terms of like so, waiting when he gets there. Because if he goes well, to Georgia, Texas, or Alabama, I know for a fact that Nick Saban's sales pitch isn't come here right now and start year one like who never has gonna been, no so you know and, and maybe it won't be alabama in the end but you know you know the thing that i think is most fascinating about him andy and, and chris is that because he doesn't do very many interviews with the media and when he does he does the same generic uh here's who i'm considering here's where i want to visit here's what i like about every school uh interviews that are very bland and not interesting um is that we don't really know exactly what the kid wants. Like, what does he crave for himself? Does he want to go to a place that's already established and has won national titles and will all but surely develop him into a first-round pick? That's Alabama. Does he want to go to Georgia and be the the extension of what Georgia is building, which is to be the five-star quarterback that turns Georgia into Alabama? Or does he want to go to Texas and, and you know save the jokes but make Texas return, make Texas back? It's like they're, these are all very different places, even though they all, you know, have five star quarterbacks on the roster. So, you know, until somebody has a frank conversation with Arch himself about what he wants and what he desires, it's very hard to kind of come up with what what you should view. So, you know, he's not going to, you know, release a top five. So the best thing that we can do is track his movements, see where he's visiting and put a lot of stock into his actions because his actions are certainly going to be speaking louder than his words as it pertains to his recruitment. So, Chris, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the differences between Arch's recruitment and, and the Peyton Eli recruitments because the thing that fascinated me, and I didn't know any of this because I was in high school. I, I'm a little bit younger than Peyton and a little bit, bit older than Eli. I didn't know that Archie was essentially their press secretary, that, that he'd talk to anybody who called and uh that there, there was a actually a decent amount of information flowing out of there until sounds like the end of Peyton's recruitment where Peyton basically shut it down and they they went to the the Hilton Riverside Hotel to to get away from from everybody bothering him at the house and and Peyton you know tried to make a decision but 
it, it does seem like Archie was so involved there. And, and that's almost quaint. Like, I can't even imagine now, like, the if Cooper Manning was like, yeah, I'll talk to whoever. It's a trip, to say the least, to go back and pour over old newspaper stories over, you know, 30 years and just have staff photographers be invited into the Manning household <laughs> uh, in the Garden District and just, like, taking photos of, of Archie and Peyton on the phone with coaches. But what's even more interesting is that you you read the stories, you talk you you talk to people who covered recruiting back then. They just did an exceptional job of feeding the beast to a certain point. They never ever overfed anybody. They were they were transparent about which teams were involved and where they were going, but they never told anybody about a potential lean. They never said that this school stands out more so than the other because we like X, Y, or Z. And those parallels with Peyton and Eli ring just as true now with Arch. Because I understand in this social media era, you can take any you know nugget, any grain of information and spin it forward into a quote unquote scoop or you know Twitter scoop or lean. Um, I can say substantially and comfortably that the the Mannings, Arch, they will not be leaking anything about where he's leaning or what he wants to do before he makes that decision. That's just the reality of the situation. And I said, don't be surprised if this thing goes all the way to early signing day in December or signing day next February. They don't feel any external pressure to get this thing done. They're going to do this on their own timeline, the same way they did with Peyton almost 30 years ago and the same way they did with Eli 25 years ago. It's just different now. Now, as you said, Andy, Cooper is not the press secretary. He's not he's not Arch's SID. He doesn't need to set up these types of interviews with people from all over the country who fly into New Orleans to do these big takeouts, because back then coaches were getting newspapers delivered to their desk. You know, they were getting all of the information um, that the rest of the nation was getting in real time by reading these stories. Now, information is, you know, faster than light and it can hit your phone whenever. So that's uh, that is the reality of what Arch is facing now and the, the past of the Mannings understanding that they have total control of the way they want to do this. I, I just it, it is amazing to me the level of control and and the understanding. Now, if you've ever met Archie Manning, I've met him a couple of times. He's he's so smart. He understands what our job is, and he's just also a very nice person. So I, I get exactly how he could wind up being that guy who who does give everybody kind of what they need, but maybe not necessarily what they want and. And so, yeah, the, the lack of a tip at all here is interesting. And, and Ari, you brought up something interesting on the live room. You know, even though Arch Manning is not saying much publicly, he's very much in the group texts of all the best players in the class of 2023. So yeah. you, could, you could see a serious Pied Piper effect from Arch Manning. Yeah, yeah. I think that I've talked to at least 10 recruits uh, since the beginning of the cycle who have mentioned in passing that they have communicated with Arch in either a personal text or a group text. And those 10 recruits were all very good. So I think there's this, this, this sentiment that because he isn't doing a ton of interviews and he's not in 
you know, maybe not going to go to the Elite 11 and all the other stuff that you would get, um, that he is kind of off on his own world, but he's still very much social and, and a part of these recruitments and stuff like that. And this is what I've always said, too. If you look back at, at what the programs that he's currently most, you know, or at least apparently most considering, you could make a case that none of them truly need his skill set. I mean, they all have very good quarterbacks. Texas on Texas does. Yeah, I guess Texas does until Quinn Ewers uh, proves that he is. If. Uh, if. I, I, you can have some doubt. If he is good enough to lead the program back. Anyway, everybody always wants and needs, I guess, a five-star quarterback in every class. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be helpful for all three of those places, particularly Texas. But what I think his his commitment would mean from a symbolic standpoint for that program to, to say, Hey, you know what? We have the most high profile recruit in the history of recruiting, choosing our school. What does that say about who we are and what he believes we're headed toward? And that's a very powerful um, message and a very powerful selling sales pitch to other elite level prospects uh, who are considering your school. And obviously Alabama and Georgia don't necessarily need the help. Um, you know, they're already at that level, but if he goes to Texas, which I think, I, I mean, I guess if we were, um, you know, guns to head right now, we'd probably have to say Texas. Cause it seems like that's where he's leaning on the internet sleuth list. But if he ended up at Texas, I think that would be a huge, coup for them in terms of what it means in the state of Texas and recruiting against A&M and all the things that go along with it. So certainly think that that this recruitment is high profile because of his last name and the ability that he has at the quarterback position. I'm not trying to diminish that. So, but, hey, but Chris, I, what, why, why, why not Tennessee or Ole Miss? We're, we're, <laughs> it feels like they were eliminated fairly early for, was it a blaze my own path kind of thing? Yeah, it's, um, it's, Absolutely a blaze my own path type of approach. And that's totally fine. Um, oddly enough, his uncles did it. You know, Peyton did it by not wanting to go to Ole Miss for a bevy of reasons. First and foremost, Ole Miss was in a very difficult spot back then. For people who don't know that the program was in shambles. There were sanctions, you know, levied by the NCAA. It just wasn't a program where he could go and star and be successful and conversely, Tennessee was on the uptick. You know, Philip Fulmer and that staff were, you know, trending northward towards title contention and eventually being a championship level team. And then you you flip the script with Eli. He follows his old man's path and then simultaneously decides to chart his own path by not following Eli to Tennessee, which makes me think based on, you know, what Ari just said. Like there's a total realistic scenario that I think Arch throws a curveball in this whole thing. And by curveball, I say like, you know, I think if we're if we're trusting the Internet sleuths like Texas, I think would would be like an ultimate coup for Steve Sarkeesian in that program. I think the task of being the face of a quote unquote, you know, turnaround job is is a lot for a young man. But the Mannings have always made it clear that they're always going to do what's best for the individual and it's interesting that you you brought up kind of being able to go out and be on those group chats with people. There are parallels based on, you know, working on the story as well. Like Philip Fulmer said, as soon as Peyton called him that night to tell him he was coming, Peyton said, all right, well, I'm going to get on the phone with some other guys across the country to, tr- to try to get them to Knoxville. And I, and I know that's not breaking news. That's not like 
totally out of the realm of like the reality of recruiting, but there is precedent here and there is similarities between, you know, what happened 30 years ago and what happened now. And as both of you have stated, like the, the Manning word has sway with people across the country, especially in football. The, the difference for Peyton is that the other players had to be home when he called because it was all landlines, baby. This is, this is a totally different world now. We'll be right back after these words. What Chris just said, Ari, I, I'm curious about because the, the Manning word, like the Manning name is massive in the sport of football. We always talk about, oh, these kids weren't born yet when this happened. I guarantee you every member of the class of 2023 respects Peyton or Eli Manning because they've seen him on TV. They've seen them win Super Bowls. Like it, it, that will, that will ring pretty heavy with them would, would be my guess. Yeah. I also think too, that there's a difference between remembering how good a team was in 1996 and knowing that a person's last name has made them incredibly famous and rich. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't think that the message always is, did you see how good Peyton Manning was at football? I think the message is Peyton Manning was good enough at football to become a broadcaster and be in national televisions, an NFL legend, and now is very, very wealthy, which is what everybody wants. So, you know, I think, too, that people get so bogged down with with how long ago was it, and I think that each individual thing that they're remembering is different. And it would be much different if these guys were very good 10, 15 years ago and then disappeared, you know, but they're very much in, I mean, they got their their own telecast during, you know, primetime yeah. football games. They're, they're in still commercials. On they're, they, on, they're on more commercials than most current NFL starting points. Yeah, yeah, and like Peyton is like legitimately funny. Like oh, he's, he's hilarious. Ha- he, you know, Eli like, is too. The, yeah. the, this is Sports Center. they did. Is the with Archie is the best one where where Peyton's kicking Eli in the butt behind Archie's. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those commercials were the best commercials ever. Yes, uh, I thought the one where Scott Van Pelt was using performance enhancing drugs during the steroid era, and then they came to his desk and he was using big words on the air, and then they found a, th- a thesaurus in his drawer and he ran. That one's my favorite. Um, when he steals LeBron's chair is pretty good. Too. Yeah. Uh, good luck finding your chair, LeBron. Um, but what were we talking about? Just, you know, how, how much of a sales pitch uh, Peyton well, is? It's, the, it's just huge. what, what a, a Manning calling you and saying, hey, come play with me means. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing a New York Times crossword puzzle because I do them every day. That's a new fun fact. Uh, Eyebrow. It's, I'm very bad at it. Shout out to I'm, our new corporate overlords. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah well i just do it just to see how good i can do and i can i can solve the monday ones and everything else no shot but one of the clues uh in one of the the crossword puzzles was football's last uh first family and the answer was manning like i think that like it is that's it <laughs> you know i mean and it's just like okay i mean it is what it is so um very curious to to see but i i looked up two things uh while you guys were talking i want you to know that jake from state farm the new one Makes mm-hmm. $15,000 a commercial. Oh, we got to do better than that. His agent needs to be fired. I mean, he does a lot of commercials, but that's not Dude, a lot. He's got to get residuals on that. But Flo, There's got to be mailbox money involved. Flow from Progressive makes a mill a year. And I don't know what makes her so marketable. I find her commercials to be annoying. What about the AT&T lady that everybody loves so much? How, the AT&T she T lady... Uh, um, I'll figure out how much she makes, but I wanted to make another joke about Arch since we're talking go about it. Go for it. And I want to go back and, and recall last week because I was very 
very annoyed by how few people thought I won last week in the restaurant commercial in the restaurant draft. I was shocked because anybody thought I I don't think people grasped what we were doing and it frustrates me, but I was watching CNBC this morning because my money's on fire and I was uh, (laughs) there. Speaking of Archie, the golden arches are coming Mm -hmm. out of Russia now, so I can never go to Russia. Well, I mean, that may change. That that situation seems somewhat fluid. So so that may change. But you did guarantee yourself the most international travel with McDonald's. Now, I got some international travel with Roos Chris. I just have to stay in some pretty nice places. Yeah, you'll be okay. Yeah, you'll be okay. Chris, no Chipotle's or Cracker Barrels in Puerto Vallarta, right? Uh, none that I can see so far, but there was a TGI Fridays that is somehow <laughs> still going when we right, were driving redraft. from the airport. Let's redraft. Can, can you just apologize on behalf of the rest of America to, to the locals for that one? I, I will. Also, I'll apologize to everyone on this podcast and all the listeners because I worked at TGI Fridays when I was in college. So, um, Listen, you know, every, you everybody. Block, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. But it's it is it is interesting to like drive by. They just don't exist anymore. The, the, the one place that I know will always have TGI Fridays is that one by the Arch in St. Louis because it looks like it, they built it to like attract people coming into Vegas. I think that's like, that's St. Louis's Vegas. It's, it's, so, it's basically Fridays. the end of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. TGI Fridays oh. has this burger that has a fried cheese patty on the burger. Yeah, that's a thing now. I used, to get that, I used to get that in college. Yeah, that and it's become more of a thing now. Uh, people will do fried goat cheese as kind of an elevated take on it, but yeah, it's 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 now a thing. It's your fancy burger places too. So, TGI Friday is way ahead of its time. Uh, <laughs> pour one out for Bennigan's in this discussion. I miss Bennigan's. Miss you, Monte Cristo. I thought but, I saw a Bennigan's when because I, I drove back from from la to texas and i think i drove by one somewhere there are a few that there's a company that has revived bennigan's and steak and ale i can't remember which company that is but somebody bought them up or bought the names bought the the ip and has revived it i believe you can actually where they have them you can get the steak and ale menu items and the bennigan's menu items there's a few in middle of nowhere texas i'm looking at it right now yeah oh yeah monahan's texas i stayed there that's a, it's an oil town. Yeah, I should have gone. I should have gone. Monahan's well, Texas and, and, is where Sonny Dykes started his coaching career. For those, for wow. those who don't know, assistant wow. baseball coach at Monahan's High School. Holy cow! That's it is nothing Sonny but oil oil uh, drills. What are those called? Uh, pump jacks. Pump jacks. So I should know that because uh, half my male friends here nodding in Texas. They call them nodding donkeys. Oil like there's a bar in Dallas called the Nodding Donkey. I still would like to like walk up to one and see how they work because I'm fascinated by it. Is that a weird I, I thing? Get, I think it'd get messy, but yeah. No, I don't want to like, go down into the thing. I just like don't understand what it's doing. Oh, we're, we're, we're veering dangerously toward reading Ari's Google search history. <laughs> you don't want to read it show. right now. I don't. <laughs> uh, Censored. Do, do you, I we'll mean, bleep I, it out. I'll, uh, you, want, you want me to read it out? Yes. Hang loose hand signal, 15 racks, which is what I was trying to figure out, like how much money that was, because that's how much the dude uh, from State Farm makes. Uh, Nike Air Sakai, which is a shoe that I want. 
Um, Bennigan's locations. <laughs> I, 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 I did a lot of um, NFL league minimum. It's not that funny this time. Um, but one is fundamental Mormonism, uh, which I'm reading Why? a book about. We're, uh, not, we're not ready, Ari. We're not ready for this. Yeah, no, uh, I, I didn't know if we could get through two live rooms. Chris lives in Utah. He probably knows much more about this than Chris us. Chris got me on a podcast, and I'm uh, reading Under the Banner of Heaven right now. Okay. So that's gotcha. part of it. Uh, but that that would have been a funny one to lead off with there. Um, next week, when I'm not, we have to do it at the beginning of the show because I Google a lot of stuff during the show. <laughs> this is tremendous. <laughs> we will do that next week. Chris, we got to let you go. There are waves to catch. There is tequila to drink. Hopefully there are fresh made tortillas in your future. But thank you so much for, for taking time out of the yeah. surf trip to talk to us. A true pro with the pros. Gentlemen, I appreciate you, and I cannot wait to retweet this to the masses because I know everybody is very concerned about the amount of tequila and tortillas I will be consuming. Well, I'm concerned because I just want—I I just want tequila and tortillas right now. He's already That's, got a beautiful I, tan too, so I, he's gonna—he's gonna come back feeling good, tan, uh, rested, and ready. I—I I can't wait. Everybody, thank you so much. On Wednesday show, Teddy Greenstein, author of QB Dads, we're gonna talk Caleb Williams at USC, Brock Vandegrift at Georgia, and many, many other QBs and their dads who, uh, well, they're usually fairly involved. So we're going to talk about that when we, when we return on Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, leave a nice review. Subscribe to the podcast. You don't have to worry about downloading. It'll just download for you. And go to YouTube and smash that subscribe button too. We'll talk to you later.